We are blessed. The fellowship is sweet. I am blessed to have my uh, my good friend and his wife, Donna Dennison, Donna out here from California. We had some board meetings to, to, to deal with, and they came out. And I think one of the first times he's been out during the summer to see the fireflies and experience this wonderful, you know, 95-degree weather and 100% humidity and just walk out the door and just, just drench. But uh, we've known each other for a long time, 41 years at least. So before we were in our mother's womb, we knew each other. No. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> uh, but it's always a blessing, and I, I'm so blessed to have him come out and <clears throat> watch how the Lord just speaks right through him right to our hearts. And so we are blessed to have him here this morning. If you would, welcome my good friend, Pastor Dennis Davenport. If you need a Bible this morning, raise your hand. We got guys here. And if you don't have a Bible, because that's what we're going to be uh, studying. Anybody else need a Bible? Just lift your hand up and we'll get one to you. All right. Got him. All right, well, with that in mind, let's get out our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 19. And then you can also uh, put your finger in Isaiah 1. Uh, Genesis 19 and Isaiah 1, we'll touch in Isaiah 1 just briefly this morning. And uh, it is, it, it's great because, see, I grew up in Pennsylvania till I was in the fifth grade, so fireflies were a big deal to me. And every time I've been out here, you know what, they, it's always been either too early or too late or whatever. So it's been a blessing to see them. I just wish I could get a picture of them, a video of them to take home to my grandkids. But you know what? It's hard to get a video of fireflies. Have you ever tried to take a picture of a firefly? It's, you chase them around. And, yeah, so I, I think I have. And, and they're kind of green. And then when, But on the video, the camera, it's, kind of, it's just a white little and so my grandkids would not be impressed. But, so I don't know what, what they'll think of what I have, but I've attempted to do so. But uh, it's a blessing always to be here and to see what God's doing here in this church. And, and I, I've seen so much uh, growth over the years. And there's been the trials and the tribulations that go with that. But I am so thankful to see and be a part of what God's doing here. It's a blessing and a privilege for me to uh, fill this pulpit for Tom. And uh, I know he feeds you and teaches you God's word and feeds you well. And so uh, I hope to do the same this morning in our time together. And the title of my message, this is not going to be a feel-good message. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, uh, we must all learn to hear what we do not like. The question is not, is it pleasant, but is it true? And that's the key. It's the truth of God's word that we need. And so the title of my message is a cost of compromise in carnality. And so uh, let's, before we begin, have a word of prayer together. Lord, we are grateful for this place I am so blessed, Lord, to see and be a part of what you're doing here in this precious body of believers in Springfield, Lord. And I pray that you would continue, Lord, to just guide and direct and give wisdom and provide, Lord, as you have so faithfully for so many years. And I pray that now, Lord, as we open your word, that you would open our hearts and, Lord, that you might... Uh, not only anoint me uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit to preach and teach your word, but, Lord, you would anoint the ears of those who hear. Lord, uh, and uh, God, that it would be uh, that which permeates and penetrates the hearts and our minds and continues to challenge and change us, to encourage and strengthen us in our faith as we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And it is my prayer that if there's anyone here who has not yet given their lives to You, Lord, today that they might come and have their sins forgiven to leave here changed men and women with the hope of heaven. So bless this time now of study in Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Compromise, carnality. It's something that well, is the cause of much powerlessness in the church 
presently. It plagues the church, especially and tragically, increasingly in this country. People are compromising God's Word, teach the teaching of God's Word. They twist the Scriptures to bring it to a place where it has a meaning that they want. And instead of being focused on pleasing God, they're focused increasingly on pleasing themselves. Many in the church today, you hear tragically among the Southern Baptists, well, we're going to have a a meeting and appoint a committee to find out what the word pastor really means. Really? Are you kidding me? But here we are. Meeting about what's very clear in Scripture. You see, we see the church today, many of them becoming woke. They speak of the God where we worship the God of pronouns. The eternal transcendent trans God, they say. Blasphemous. How did we get here? It starts with compromise. Motivated by carnality, it starts very subtly. Just as it did in the Garden of Eden when when Satan came to Eve, has God really said? Are you sure what he said is what he meant and he didn't mean something else, you see? That's the way it starts. We have an illustration, you see, of this costly and contagious disease. And the impact of compromise and carnality in the life of a man named Lot. You see, Lot's life is a litmus test, really. And we see very clearly what If we're not careful and prayerful, we lose as a result of carnality. Now, what is carnality? Well, it's defined as bodily rather than spiritual, sensual. Most of you understand that. You have, uh, you know, likely you've gone to the store at some point in your life and you've gone to the aisle where uh, they have the chili, and they have all kinds of chili on that aisle in the little cans. You got your chili with beans, you got your chili with jalapenos, and and you got your chili without beans, and then you have your chili con carne. Uh, that is chili with what? Meat, flesh in it. You don't like the description of that, but it's cow flesh or pig flesh, but whatever, it's still flesh. You see, when we speak of carnality as Christians, it takes place when we begin to move and operate and make decisions motivated more by our fleshly desires than that which is spiritual. Now, compromise, the word compromise in the Webster's Dictionary says, settling a dispute by agreement that each party might give up part that he or she demands. Now, listen, in a marriage, important. There are times where if you don't compromise and somebody give up a little bit, maybe both of you give a little bit, then then you can move on. Uh But when it comes, and and that's a good kind of compromise, but compromise in its perverted form is sadly when we find ourselves coming to the God who has given to us so much and in His love for us given us commandments and made certain demands upon us and He's faithful to keep His promise to us, but we begin to let go of our commitment to Him. And in doing this, we begin to back off or move away from what we know to be right 
and true and just and honorable into a world of compromise that is often unrighteous, unjust, and dishonorable. Let me ask you, Christian, today, when it comes to your walk with the Lord spiritually, how you doing? How you doing? Are you a little more spiritual, a little more deeply committed to Christ and, excuse me, seeking the Lord and, and growing in your love and relationship with Him and it's, it's increasing? Or have you began to back off a little bit? In fact, you haven't been to church for a while. You're, you're, this is the first time you got your Bible this week. And you become a little more carnal. Oh, you know, it's, it's not so, it, you're not so carnal that you look like a non-believer. Now, you know better than that. You're not there. But you know you're not where you should be or could be in your relationship with the Lord. Well, it's, you know, and initially, it doesn't cost you much, doesn't impact you much. People don't know that you have a secret life that you're beginning to mess around and dabble in. But listen, It will come back to bite you if you don't deal with that which God is convicting you of to be sin. You say, what do I lose? I mean, pastor, come on. I mean, we're all a little calm. And we do struggle with it. Paul says the good that I want to do, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do, that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. But he's praying for deliverance. God, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? And then he goes on to say, it's done and given in Christ Jesus. Okay. You can't get it together. You can't keep it together. Only he can. But it's important that you recognize and call it what God calls it a sin. Because I'll tell you what, if you tolerate it, if you allow it to continue, that little secret place of carnality, that which you become careless and just begun to indulge in, will, well, it will cost you greatly. You say, well, what do I lose? Well, here in our text this morning, There's a man, of course, named Lot. And what we see that he loses initially, and you will lose as well, is your ability ability to reason. Let's read the text here in verse 1. A little context. The angels have come. They met with Abraham and uh, talked to him. And, of course, Abraham knows about the mess in Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, Abraham is told by these angels that they're going to bring fire down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham asks these angels, Hey, listen, wait a minute. Would you destroy the righteous with the unrighteous? How about if there's 50 people in Sodom and Gomorrah that are righteous? Would you destroy the city? And the angels say, no. Okay, how about, how about 40? How about 10? You know, you, you, you know, it goes all the way down to 10. And, and of course, he couldn't find 10. And so uh, the angels are on their way now to destroy the city. They, they come to the entrance, it says there in verse 1, of the city of Sodom. And Lot was sitting there as they arrived. He was in some kind of position of authority at the gate. And, and when they saw, when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. And then he welcomed them and bowed low to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my home and wash your feet and be my guest for the night. You may get, then get up in the morning as early as you like and be on your way. Oh no, the angel said, we just, we'll just spend the night out here in the city square. But Lot insisted, so at last they went home with him. He set a great feast before them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast. And after the meal, as they were preparing to retire for the night, check this out, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. And they shouted to Lot, 
Where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out so we can have sex with them. Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged. Don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. I'll give them to you. Do as you wish. But leave these men alone, for they are under my protection. What? I mean, does this make any sense to you at all? This really bothers me. I have two daughters. Uh, What we see happening here is a, a man who, well, used to have a relationship with the Lord. Lots. And now he's living so carnally that he's willing, do you hear it here, to take these men who are perverted and age, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, sin, you still have to deal with it. And and these men, young or old, you see, uh, when I was young, I thought once I get old, I won't have, I won't be sinning near as much. It'll be, I'll be done and and reach, you know. Uh, that's uh, I'm here to tell you that's not a fact. At 70 years old, I, uh, I, 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 I'm waiting for heaven to get sinless perfection. Why did Lot? Offer to these perverted men who wanted relations with men. Why did he offer his two virgin daughters? What was going on? I'll tell you what. For the sake of the headlines in the Sodom Star, he didn't want the headlines and his reputation to go around saying, Lot lacks hospitality. You see, in the culture of Lot's day, you didn't have, uh, you know, someone come to your house and not bring them in. There were no hotels, no Hampton Inns in that day. And so Lot's concern was twofold. Number one, uh, for his uh, public reputation as a, a guy who, you know, you, you, the custom was you invited them to stay the guests in your house with you. And then also, Lot knew the city and the people that he was uh, living around, and he knew that these people might come and surround these angels. And so he wanted to protect them from that. He wanted to keep them from that. You see, what happens here is Lot, well, in what he offers to them, loses, has lost his ability to reason. His daughters. You see, it's a condition of the heart that enables you that a reason to uh, evaluate rightly, to think properly. You might call it uh, to have a righteous rationale. Very similar to what's going on in our own country. It's, it's interesting. Don't you find it interesting that the Bible, when God says, Hey, if you leave me and turn away from me, here's the course that it's going to take. And it always ends up in same-sex relations. It did in Sodom and Gomorrah. We know in Rome, the history of Rome. Guess what happened with Rome? Deteriorated, more more promiscuous, more permissive, until the men were effeminate and and same-sex orgies. That was going on when Rome came apart. And here we are, you'd think, well, we're smart enough. We're not going to go down that road. You know, with all of our education and technology, we know better. Guess what? Man learns from history, but he doesn't learn from history. You know the old saying, right? And so here here we are. I mean, in this country, in this nation, living in a way and and allowing things that I would, uh, you know, 40 years ago, never have thought we would be allowing or even discussing. You see, that's the problem with moving away from God and beginning to compromise the clear 
teaching of God's Word, to remove the foundation of God's righteous commands to us, given in the Ten Commandments, the moral law, you see, uh, the way people should be governed. You move that and you cast that aside and you have no basis for any laws anymore. So what's the, the reasonable and, and rational no longer exists? What's logical? What's what, what we might say common sense? Common sense tells you that two men shouldn't have sex together and two women shouldn't have sex together. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. Yeah, but they feel it. Well, sexual perversity and temptation is, listen, adultery, uh, premarital sex, extramarital sex. Uh, Listen, that exists all over the place. I mean, in the sense that we all battle with temptation, don't we? Sexual sin is sexual sin. And, and listen, same sex is sexual sin. Okay? Adultery is sexual sin. You don't, you don't see people going around holding placards. We demand adulterous relationships be accepted and promoted and embraced and celebrated. You don't see that. Why? Because it's, it's wrong. There's a sense that, and so is same-sex relations. I'm not saying the temptation is wrong. I'm saying to enter into it. And they want us not only to allow it and tolerate it as the church, but they want us to celebrate it. That is that is not possible for the Christian. You see, it's not reasonable. Isaiah. Chapter 1, verse 18. Read with me here. The Lord speaking to the nation of Israel that's caught up in this. He says, come now, let us reason together. I love that. God is a reasonable God. What He's asked us to believe, you see, is reasonable. He wants us to think. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet. Okay? The word to us today as a country, your sins are like scarlet. They are, they are rampant. You see, but they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Listen, though, if, there's the big word, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Isaiah is given a word from God. He comes as the prophet to speak the truth of God. To sound out this this invitation from God. To do that which is reasonable and, and right. And it's very clear. They have a decision to make. I think as a nation we have a decision to make. Isaiah here says, you can either take the path that leads to blessing and, and, or, or good and goodness rather and eat the good of the land, or you can take the path that leads to death, the sword and destruction. Now, what do you want to do? You know, the problem is you read on. They don't quickly respond. It's like Isaiah pronounces, says, what do you want to do? And it's like the Jeopardy theme comes on. Do. I don't know, you know, which do you want to do, death, or do you want to be blessed, or or what what do you want to do? What's the matter with these people? It doesn't seem like a tough decision to choose between life and death. The reasonable answer, of course, shouldn't it be, wouldn't it be to choose life? To choose blessing? To choose God's path as opposed to their own? Why would there even be a hesitation? Because they had lost their ability to reason. Whether we like it or not, the same is true for us. It's hard at times. I mean, think about it. God presents you and I every day, each morning, with the option to take the way of life and spend time with Him in His Word, 
time in prayer and to allow Him and ask Him, inviting Him to direct our paths and be there for us and to bless us. Or we can just run out and forget God and take our own way and not spend any time in prayer and try and handle it on our own. Lord, I got this. I find out real quickly whenever I think I got this that without Him I can do nothing but fail miserably. I wish I could tell you here, standing up here, all preachy and everything, I wish I could tell you that I always choose the right thing. I always choose. I never choose the wrong thing. I wish I could tell you that. I can't tell you that. I can't tell you that I'm growing. You see, Many times we sadly, illogically choose well, to do our own thing, to handle things on our own. If you do that very long, you lose your ability to reason. Don't ever think when you see somebody off in the relationship with the Lord, they're carnal, they're, they're, way, they're, they're messing up their lives, and, and you see what's going on in their sinful increasingly sinful lifestyle don't ever think oh, i i don't know I, I could never do that i would never do that oh you'd be careful you'd be careful take heed when you think you stand lest you what yeah yeah god help me it's my prayer whenever i see some of these christians and some of these big names stray away from the lord and backslide and and have the affair or whatever i pray oh god help me to finish well because i i I, my flesh is still my flesh. You see, you've got to realize that. Your flesh is your flesh. And if you allow yourself the luxury of entertaining and continuing to pursue that, you can certainly end up where Lot here is and you lose your ability to reason. I've heard people come in, I don't know how I got there, I don't know... I, I, I couldn't have imagined that I would have done this. And I feel so bad. The consequence. You lose your reason. The second thing is you lose, you lose your reputation. Most of us know the story. The city of Sodom is, a, Sodom is about to be destroyed. The angel of the Lord uh, comes and and I love the fact that in his love and amazing grace, because Lot doesn't look like he's a believer here even to me, uh, but amazing grace, the angel of the Lord is, is saying, Hey Lot, take your family and, and get out of town. Now, Lot's response there in verse 14 so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, after he got the message of this impending judgment here where the city is going to be destroyed, he says, get up and get out of this place, kids, for the Lord is going to destroy the city. How do sons-in-law react? But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be what? Joking. What's going on? Lot, well, his reputation. He was so compromised. He was so carnal that when he starts talking about God and the Bible, it was out of character for him. And his sons-in-law start laughing and, and, and uh, you know, the Lord's coming and judgment's going to fall. Oh, wow, uh, father-in-law. Uh, hey, you're getting all, all holy all, all of a sudden you're quoting the Bible, all this God talk, out of character for you. They thought he was messing around. Come on, don't be so heavy. Don't, you know, kick back, take it easy. What's the problem? The problem is his dad doesn't have a righteous reputation. So when he tries to be righteous, when he uh, talks about the Bible, when he uh, talks about the things of God, it seems totally out of character because that's not the way he was living his life. When the observers look at him. He doesn't have a righteous reputation. How about you? Do you have a righteous reputation? 
You see, that it, it, it's something that, well, we see in the Bible, there are certain names, there are certain names, that when, we, when I say the name, you'll go, uh, and, and, and if I ask the question, does he have a righteous reputation or she, you'll say yes. Let's do a little test here, okay? Let's do a test and see if that's true. When I say the name David, uh, I want you to say, if, if they got a righteous reputation, I want you to go, yeah, okay? If they, if they don't, go, no. Okay? When I say the name David, what do you think of? Yeah. yeah. When I say the name King Saul, you say, no. When I say the name Sarah, yeah. yeah. When I say the name Jezebel, does your name, when I say your name, when people say your name, is it a yeah? Do you have a righteous reputation among those you work with? Among those in your neighborhood? Do you have a righteous reputation? You see, listen, like Lot, who didn't have one, do you have a righteous reputation in your own home and in your family? That's key. Especially us men who are called to be the spiritual leaders of our home. When you start thinking about, talking about the things of God and, and sharing the things of God, do your, would your children, would your grandchildren go, wow, wow you're getting all holy. I've never heard this before. Or do they hear and see a life that is marked by God? A life that is lived, you see, with a, a, a passion for the things of God. For the Word of God. For the work of God. So important. You see, when we Think about Jesus. I, I remember when I first came to the Lord. And I started getting fed the Word of God. I, I was religious probably most of my life in the sense that I believed that there was a God. And I was raised in a church where I knew what you weren't supposed to do. Uh, Thou shalt not. I knew the commandments. But my problem was for many years I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I just knew what I wasn't supposed to do. How many of you were living in that place? I'm so glad that God brought me to a place where the Word of God is taught. And not only do I understand what I'm not supposed to do, but I understand increasingly what I'm supposed to do. And when I started learning that, when I started hearing the truth of the Word of God taught, as a young Christian, I was excited to hear the Word of God. I was so thrilled that my sin, I began to understand grace and, and that God loved me and that, that He wasn't just waiting to get me and, and, and that He had a plan and a purpose for my life. And, and I was so excited. Listen, man, I could not get enough of the Word of God. I wanted to be at church every time the doors opened. I wanted to tell everybody, you know, what God was doing in my life and what He could do in their life. I mean, there was this love, this passion for God. And it changed me so radically. You know what? I wasn't trying to say, well, can I still drink beer and be a Christian? Can I still watch R-rated movies and, and be a Christian? I wasn't looking to, to, to live on the edge in any capacity. I was fired up about the Word of God and what He has done for me on the cross. And, and listen, I was hearing the Lord is coming back and I wanted to be ready when He came. I didn't want to be found doing stuff that was marginal. I wanted to be found doing stuff that was impactful to, to, to further the kingdom of God. To build up the body of Christ. And yeah, I got harassed. 
My reputation as I began to walk with the Lord, I had a, a high school biology teacher that knew me in high school and, and I didn't do good in high school. And when he heard Mr. Nicholson, when he heard that I was a pastor, he, he lived in Rialto down, uh, down the hill, uh, from, uh, from us in, in Victorville there. And, and when he heard that I was a pastor, he actually came up to one of my services and heard me and walked up to me afterward and says, I heard it, but I didn't believe it. But I'm amazed to see what God has done in your life. You see, I had the people that were saying, oh, Davenport, you're just, you know, you're so lame, man. I mean, you're, you've, you've turned into this radical, Bible-thumping, narrow-minded, Jesus-freak, this God-squatter, Holy Joe, you know. And I go, bring it on, man. Go ahead and mock me. Go ahead and, and say, uh, you know, to the people when I come around, when I worked at the bakery, I had this team of uh, people that I was over, and whenever I would come around, they were talking smack. I'd come around, and they, oh, you, you need to clean up your speech. This guy, you know, Dennis is here. He's one of those Bible thumpers, you know, God squatters. You know what? Their intention was to persecute, harass me, put me down. My joy is, listen, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer persecution. Hey, question. How you doing in that realm? Are you suffering persecution? If you're not, you might check and see if your testimony is as it should be. Or have you listened to what they're telling us, saying you Christians need to shut up and be quiet about it. Okay, go ahead and your God. Have your God and your little religion thing, you know, and, but shut up about it and don't tell anybody else about it. You see... If you've listened to that and settled into that, then you're probably not getting persecuted. And if you're not getting persecuted, you're not pleasing God. If there's no persecution anywhere in your life, you, you, you better check your testimony and your witness. Do you have a righteous reputation? Or are people surprised when they find out you're a Christian? In fact, if some of your co-workers or neighbors were here today, they might see you and go, I didn't know you were church going. I didn't know you were a Christian. How long have you been a Christian? Because they don't see it in your life. The final thing you lose is only your reason and your reputation. But in verse 17, we read, So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape, the angel say, to the mountain to Lot, lest you be destroyed. And then Lot said to them, Please, my Lord, no. Indeed, now your servant have found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me, and I die. See, now this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little, little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. Now catch the scene. The angel is coming to Lot and saying, Get out of the city. Escape to the mountain. It's about to be judged, this city. Fire is about to fall. And Lot says, mountain, mountain, oh, it's scary in the mountains. How about the city? There's another, there's a city that I'd prefer to go to. It's a little one. And then I wonder if Lot didn't go, oh yeah, but that's what got me in trouble in the first place. You know, Abraham took the desert. I moved into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and so uh, that's maybe what got me in trouble in the first place. But the city, I, 
You see, it's so convenient. You have stuff in the city. The mountains is risky. It's scary. There's, you know, there's stuff out there that goes bump in the night. I, you know, my family and all. I mean, uh, could I just stay in a city? You see, that's what happens when you allow compromise and carnality in your life. You're unwilling to take risks. You get used to your little cities, your faith so weakened through these that when God asks you to step out and go for it and climb the mountain, you say, I can't climb. Something bad might happen to me. I I could never do that. Listen, let me ask you, Christian, when was the last time God knocked on your door and said, hey, I want you to go for it. I want you to climb the mountain. I want you to take some risks. I want you to move out of your comfort zone. I want you to move out of living a life of convenience. I want you to move out of your complacency and your apathy. And I want you to step up and take a risk, you see. When's the last time God said that? And how did you respond? You see... Maybe years ago, you started out and, and uh, you know, you heard about the need for a VBS Bible teacher. You heard the need, uh, you see, uh, of a, a Sunday to be a Sunday school teacher or, or, or there was a mission trip and you always wanted to go on the mission trip. And, and when you were younger in the Lord, you say, someday, you know what, I'd like to do that, but I'm not ready yet. But now, now, years have passed. And you hear again the need or you hear again of an opportunity. And you say, well, I, oh, I would love to do that, but eh, my time schedule would be hard. I don't know if I could make it every time. But you see, what are you willing to risk? You see, a step of faith, a step of faith, saints, is to move into something that God calls you to do that you know you can't do on your own. I'll never forget the first time I was asked to teach. I was asked to teach uh, for Greg Laurie a Wednesday night study. I had been on staff for two weeks. The Wednesday night study had probably... 1,500 to 2,000 people. I never stood before that many people in my life. I was the kind of guy in school that I didn't want to raise my hand because I didn't want to talk in front of people. I wanted, I wanted to I'd tell somebody else, this is the answer, and raise your hand, this is the answer, and let them do it. I was petrified to talk in front of people. I wasn't petrified to play music and sing in front of people, but I was petrified to talk in front of people. So Greg says, hey, Dennis, in the staff meeting, you want to you want to teach for me on on Wednesday? <clears throat> I said, me, I've only been here a couple of weeks. He says, yeah, he says, so if you don't want to do it, no, I'll do it. And so I, uh, I said, yes. And then, you know, we had the rest of the meeting prayed. And I walked out and I go, what did I just do? I, I, I'm going to do a couple of weeks. I got Wednesday night to do, and and I'm freaking out. Honestly, I, I mean, I told all the rest of the pastors, you guys need to pray for me because I don't even know what I'm going to teach. I'll teach the Bible somewhere, but where? And and, and I'm freaked out. I'm asking the the whole staff to pray for me. I called my mom, had her pray for me. I even called non Christians and had them pray for me. <laughs> That's how freaked out I was by it. And, and I'm just, you know, it's, it's, it's Monday, it's Tuesday, it's Wednesday, it's, Wednesday, it's Monday, it's Tuesday. Now the Wednesday comes up and I'm supposed to teach that Wednesday night. I got, you know, what I think God has given me out of Nehemiah to teach. But, but I am, I, I mean, the worship is going on. I'm just pacing back and forth in the back, just going, oh, God, God, I got... I'm scared to death, Lord. If you don't show up, I understand better now what Moses said. God, if you don't go before me, I don't want to go. God, if you don't go before me, I don't want to go. I'm, 
And then all of a sudden the worship's over. And then they're fellowshipping, much like you were this morning, and Tom had to stop you. I wasn't about to stop him. <laughs> Keep going. Because the t- clock was ticking. And so finally, you know, everybody kind of quiets down and and I it's my time to walk out and I walk out and I say, hey, get out your uh, Bibles and turn to Nehemiah uh, chapter two. And uh, uh, they turn there and I say, well, let's pray. Hey, closing my eyes and not seeing them was very helpful. <laughs> Praying a prayer that was long without having to see them was extremely helpful, but I knew I couldn't stay there. So finally I ended the prayer, opened my eyes, and I go, okay, God, here we go. And so I began to share the message that God had given me. For about the first five, ten minutes, I don't know what I said, and I'm not sure they knew what I was saying. But you know what? After that, the Lord took over, and I just sensed the pleasure and presence of the Lord, and He gave me the confidence, and I made it through, and I got other opportunities, so I figured God did good. You see, the problem is, precious saints, if you're never willing to take any risks and step into the things that are impossible for you to do on your own, you'll never know the presence and the power of God. When, when Peter saw Jesus on the, on the water there walking, he said, Lord, if that's you, that's a stormy sea, it's dark, it's dangerous. But if that's you, Lord, bid me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come on. And he took the risk. And he stepped out and he faltered, didn't he? And he began to sink as he said, wait a minute, I'm doing the impossible here. And the winds are blowing. He gets his eyes on the wind and the waves and and the darkness and he sinks under. And then even then he yells, Lord, help. And what's the Lord do? Pick him up and put him back in the boat. But he took the risk. And guess what? He's the only disciple who's ever walked on the water. The rest of them could talk about, well, Pete, you know, he's showing up. Well, listen. He took, the, he took the chance. He took the risk. He, he took the step of faith. Scary, but he took it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood in the face of everyone being told, much like today, the political climate was, if you don't bow before this idol, then you are going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. You're going to pay for it. Well, guess what? They stood for God. You think it was scary? See, sometimes we read it and we don't think about them being just like you and me. This king is going to kill us. I mean, he is going. We have positions in the king's house. We have places in the palace that we are serving in. And, and guess what? Here, what are we doing giving up that for potential fire? But they would not compromise. And they stood for the Lord. And as a consequence, they got arrested. They were arrested. They were roped and bound. They were taken to the fiery furnace. They were tossed in. And guess what? Right there in that furnace, the Lord showed up in a big way. They were there cruising around in the furnace where others had died, where the guards who took them in had died. They were cruising around in the furnace and the only thing that happened to them in the furnace was that which bound them, the the ropes that they were bound with initially, you see, were burnt off and they were set free. They got to experience what you and I haven't experienced by way of God's power and God's presence and God's miraculous working, you see, because they were willing to stand and take the step of faith and risk it all. You see, are you? Are you? Does that testimony of your life? Because here's the deal. Little risk, 
little reward. When Lot finally strode into heaven, if you would, and the rewards were being handed out. Hey, Lot, here's your, here's your crown. Now let me, let me get the jewel that goes in it. Little city, that's where you want to go, right? Not too risky, right? Let me get to, let me get the tweezers. There you go. There's your, <laughs> there's your jewel for your crown. Is that what you want? Is that all you want? Just to get into heaven? Is that good enough? I pray it's not. I pray it's not. I pray that God this morning will challenge you to step up, to, to take risks. And, and Because some of you look back on your life. I look back on my life. I should have done more. I, I, I don't look back and go, I should have played it safer. I look back and I said, man, I wish I would have done this sooner. I wish I would have taken this step. And, 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 and I know it was risky. I know a lot of things could uh, happen. But, but guess what? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have experienced, had I not stepped out, I wouldn't have experienced all that I've experienced in my life by way of the Lord using me and working in and through me. It's time. So, so those of you who are retired, well, I'm retired now. Are you retired or are you just tired? Listen, there's no retirement when it comes to Jesus. Caleb, as an old man, said, give me that mountain. He was willing to take the risk. And he took the risk. And guess what he experienced? Tremendous victory. Are you tired of living complacent, apathetic? Uh, We need to step up. We need to step out and take the risks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and for the precious, faithful ministry of your Holy Spirit. And I pray now, Lord, that as we've studied your word, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen, Lord, our faith. God, that we would be those where, Lord, if there's any that are compromising in any area of their lives and they have allowed that, Lord, and, and Lord, they become a carnal as a result. God, I pray today for the conviction of your Holy Spirit. I pray today, Lord, that they have been challenged. And God, that that challenge to step out of that place of carnality, to allow that to hold them, Lord, would be something that they would, uh, Lord, confess as sin and turn from, repent from, and, Lord, that they would get up and get moving and pour it on, Lord, because I believe that we are in the final stages of, of the lap, Lord, just about to break through the tape. And, Lord, I pray that each one of us would desire to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, help us to be those. Lord, who are uh, seeing you do amazing things, experiencing your power. Lord, whether we're young or whether we're old, moving in and through us to further the kingdom and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless and strengthen us now for the call that you've placed on our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.